Welcome to the Victory Orlando podcast. We exist to reach people with the life-giving message of Jesus and to connect them with their purpose. To learn more about us, visit us at victoryorlando.com. Thanks for listening. We pray that you are encouraged and inspired by today's message. We're entering into a season, um, heading towards Easter, and we're starting a brand new series I'm so excited about. It's called How to Overcome a Bad Day. And um, I, I've thought about this for a while because um, we all have bad days, right? <laughs> Anybody experienced a bad day before, just by a show of hands? I'm trying to see where all the people who aren't telling the truth in church this morning are. It's all right. We're praying for you. We love you. We all experience bad days. I just, I just believe that we're meant to have victory in those bad days. We're meant to overcome in those bad days, not just survive through them, not just live through them. We're actually meant to overcome. Why are we meant to overcome? Because God has purpose for us, right? God just doesn't want us to survive. He doesn't want us just to keep the lights on. He has purpose for us. He has assignment for us. But if we go through a bad day and it destroys us or it cages us up or it takes us out of the game, then when it comes time for us to minister to somebody, God brings somebody across our path, when we, we miss the opportunity because we've let the bad day take us out. We've let the bad day sour our attitude. We've let things come in and creep up our heart, right? But God has assignment for us. We're meant to overcome in our bad days so that those around us can then be affected for the kingdom of God. So it's not just about us like, "Woo, I made it through. Praise the Lord. No, like that's great. But we're meant to overcome. We're more than conquerors. Right? That's who we are. So I just want to take these next seven weeks and look at um, the example that Jesus gave us. Um, Jesus, when he was on the cross, he made seven final statements on the cross that I believe can serve as a framework for us to survive and overcome in our bad days, right? Because uh, we know what happened with Jesus when he was on the cross. We call it Good Friday, but it was only good for us. It wasn't good for him, right? It was the worst day of history, but we call it Good Friday. And it was on that day, at that place on the cross, Jesus makes these seven statements. And each week we're going to study one of those and learn how to apply them into our lives so that we can overcome our bad days. So that when we're hurt, so that when something happens to us or somebody doesn't do something they promised to do and we're let down or whatever it is that we're not, uh, we're not overcome and overtaken by those things. So I'm, I'm excited for it. And then seven weeks from today, we're going to celebrate. Easter It's going to be a great celebration, and I'm looking forward to that. And we'll be sharing more about that in the days ahead. But I just want to kind of give you uh, kind of uh, the roadmap of where we're headed in these next seven weeks. And I believe that God is going to do great things in the midst of us, that maybe where there's been an obstacle or you felt like there's always been this barrier in your life, I believe that the anointing is here today to break those things down because God has freedom so how to live, how to overcome a bad day. Are you guys ready for it? All right. Well, we know that Jesus was, went through unspeakable pain and torture and abuse leading up to the cross. And I believe that was God's plan. But it wasn't the only part of his plan wasn't just to pay for sins. Right? There was another part to his plan. And I want to look at that today. If you've got your Bible, you can turn to Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2. Maybe you've got the free version Bible app. You can pull it up on there too. I'm reading today from the NIV. It says this. It says, fixing our eyes on Jesus. So in other words, we're meant to look to Jesus as our example of how to overcome in life. We're meant to look to Jesus as our example of how to do things. A different translation says it this way. It says, study how he did it. 
So study how Jesus overcame. Study how Jesus lived. Keep our eyes on Jesus. The next part he says, because he's the pioneer, the perfecter of our faith. The pioneer, he's the author. He's the one who's blazing the trail, leading the way. He's the one who began this whole thing inside of us. The perfecter of our faith means he's bringing like completeness and and maturity inside of us so that we don't stay spiritual babies our whole lives, right? right? So we can grow in some things, right? He's the pioneer, the perfecter of our faith so that, you know, the, the completeness, the perfecting part is so that the places that we feel are broken and messed up and hurting and falling apart, like he puts those back together again. Praise the Lord. Come on, somebody. And he says, for the joy that was set before him. Everybody say joy. Come on, now say a little more joyful. Say joy. Come on, that's good. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. So while Jesus is suffering and dying on the cross, going through uh, uh, excruciating pain, like, he actually has endurance in those moments because he's thinking about something else, right? It's amazing to think, like, when we get in a painful situation or something that's causing pain to us, I mean, the first thing I want to do is get out of that place. Anybody with me? Like, I don't want to experience this pain anymore. Like, let's get, let's get out of here. I'm done with this. Like, take care of this. Give me some ibuprofen if it's in the body. Like, I need to feel better, right? But Jesus is actually showing us a different picture that in the middle of this, he, like, that's where endurance wells up. That's where endurance comes from is in the middle of the painful place. Endurance to what? To press through to the end. And how does he do it? Because he has his, his, his eyes, his, his attention fixed on something else. For the joy that was set before him, endurance came up, right? And in case you're wondering, the joy was you. All right. A few people here in the front heard what I said. All right. The joy that, that allowed Jesus to push through the pain, to have endurance in that place was for you and me, to have relationship with you and me, right? So that one day he knew, he was like, hey, my man Bobby's going to be able to be in relationship with me if I just press through this, right? My boy David, he's gonna, I, I'm going to be close with him and he's going to be a mighty man to lead his family like, because we're going to be in relationship, right? Like that's the joy that was before him, right? And not just like, not just like the us that looks nice when we get out of the car in the parking lot to come into church. Stepping out, look like, like you weren't just yelling in the car. And, you know, like, like the joy of all of our messed up parts. The joy of the parts where we have fears and doubts and we're not sure if this is going to work out. That was his joy. The, the parts of us that are like, we want to we wanna say nice things, but all of a sudden somebody makes us mad and a bunch of cuss words come out. Like, like all those places, all the good, all the bad places, right? Because scripture says, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Oh, that's so good. That, that brings, I don't know about y'all, that brings me joy to know like, man, come on. Think, just think about that for a minute. If you miss everything else today, just get it. Like you were Jesus' joy. Ah, oh, that's good. He goes on. He says, he scorned the shame and he sat and he's seated down at the right hand of the throne of God. So if you want to know what Jesus is doing right now, like Jesus, what you up to, bro? Like he's up in heaven. He's seated at the right hand of the father and he's mediating between us and the father. Right. So he's 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 between us and the father. Right. Uh, when you translate this out in another tra- uh, another chapter of this verse, it gives us the same picture that he's mediating, almost like an attorney in a courtroom would represent us to the judge, right? So there's this this go between. So it's uh, it's like he's up there with the father, and he's like, "Hey, father, I, I know they're they're going through some really hard things right now. That, that's a really tough deal. Like, let's help them out." 
Like that's what he's doing. He's, he's, he's mediating between us and the Father. That's, I, I'm, come on now. He goes on, he says, Consider him or study him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. The Passion Translation says that phrase this way. It says, so consider carefully how Jesus faced such intense opposition. So Jesus faced the intense opposition. He faced the bad day. Why? Because of the joy that was set before him. And he did it not just so that we could be redeemed and forgiven, but so that we would have an example of how to do the same thing. Otherwise, he wouldn't have told us to carefully consider how he did it because he knew we would have these times too. He knew that people would say stuff about us that isn't true. He knew that we would struggle through things. He knew that, that we would be wounded. He knew that we would face bad days in life where everything seems to crash down. He knew it. That's why he gave us the example of how to overcome in these days. So we know the story of the cross, right? On Thursday before Good Friday, Jesus has the Last Supper with his disciples, and they're up in the upper room and all that, right? And then he's in the garden having a prayer service with his friends, right? And they're having a good time. And then one of his own, his disciples, you know, turns him in and betrays him and leads the troops that are coming to arrest him and says, he's the one, arrest him. He's arrested that night. It's around nine o'clock or so that night. He's taken and he's actually sent through three different trials, which were all illegal, by the way, uh, and historically, in Roman and Jewish law from that time, you could not hold a trial at night. It was illegal. But here they did. They sent him through three different illegal trials all night long. Ended up, he, he was sentenced to be crucified. He was carried out the next morning. He, they lead him out there, and they nail him to the cross. That cross gets lifted up. He's nailed on there and, right, and dropped down into that hole. Man, that thing just drops down in there. And it's at this moment that he says the first statement that we want to look at today. You can find it in Luke chapter 23, verse 34. Jesus said, Father, forgive them. For they don't know what they're doing. Think about those words for a minute. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Man. It's amazing that he said it, right? just that he would even say it. But, I mean, it's amazing that that's the first thing that he said. He could have said anything. In fact, all throughout that whole ordeal of everything that he went through, he was so careful with the words that he said. So many times we read he did not answer. He did not respond. He was careful with the words that he chose. So he could have said anything. But he said this, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I would just suggest to us that the first thing that we need to do if we're going to overcome in a bad day is forgive anyone who's trying to ruin our life. If you're taking notes, you want a title for the message, you can call it that, Forgive Anyone Who's Trying to Ruin Your Life. It's just the first step when we're going through things, if we really want to overcome, if we, if we really want to have victory and not just skate through like, oh, I'm, I just, I made it out. But if we really want to get to the place where we experience the power of God and, and, and victory and those types of things, like it has to start in this place of, of forgiving other people who might be trying to ruin our life. And I say it um, with a little bit of, you know, humor in there because if you, we all have those people, right? that seem like their whole mission in life is to ruin ours. If you haven't experienced them yet, you might experience them today. 
You know, it's just life. We're just, there's just those people around. It seems like everything they do, like their whole goal in life is to ruin our lives. And sometimes it's like maybe their spiritual gift is to ruin my life. You know, it's like sometimes I like to imagine those people. And listen, I have a list of people that I'm working through this right now, okay? So like of people like, Lord, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Oh, yes, they know what they're doing. Yeah. <laughs> it feels right. Am I, am I Okay. But I just imagine them sometimes, you know, in next step, step two with Hector, doing the a personality test, and then they do the spiritual gift test, and wouldn't you know, one of their spiritual gifts is ruining Chris's life. <laughs> just seems that way sometimes. That's not really on there. That's not really an option, but just seems that way that that's how it works out sometimes, that people are doing that, and it's just, we've just got to learn as people, as Christians, right, as Christ people who are Christ-like, people who follow Jesus, to learn to posture our heart in this way. That before we do anything else, like we get our heart in the posture to say, God, I just, I'll go ahead and I forgive everyone who's trying to ruin my life today. Anyone who would wound me today, I just forgive them right now. Jesus uh, talked about this uh, multiple times throughout uh, the Gospels. It's not the only place he talked about it. In fact, Matthew chapter 24, he's talking to his disciples about the end times, the last days. I, I personally believe we're living in those. But he, he's talking about these days in verse 10 of Matthew 24. He says, at that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate one another. That's encouraging. Um, New King James says that many people will be offended. You know, doesn't that sound like our culture today? Man, people, uh, haters going to hate everywhere, right? But that's just, that's just life sometimes. That's a, that's a bad day. And sometimes when we, when we experience that, we get ourselves in a place where we want to like, protect ourselves from those people. We want to try to guard ourselves from experiencing a bad day again, right? And so what we do, we, 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 we block things off. We, we back out of things that can't be involved in that. And, and we start building up these walls to kind of, in the name of protecting ourselves, guarding my heart, making sure that nothing hurts me again, thinking that we'll be able to keep a, the opportunity offenses to come, thinking that we'll keep bad days at bay, like that they won't come near us, that we'll be able to es- escape them without going through them. It just doesn't work that way. Jesus, in fact, told his, told his disciples, it's impossible that offenses won't come to you. Aren't you glad you came to church today? <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good to know. So we just need to realize it's not about keeping everyone out so that nothing bad happens to us. Because when we do that, all we're doing is falling into the enemy's trap of isolating ourselves. That's where the, our spiritual enemy wants us to be. He wants us to be isolated. Because when we're isolated, it's a whole lot easier to now I'm not teachable. That means no one can say anything to me. It's a whole lot easier to be offended because no one cares about me. They, they don't even want to know what I'm going through, right? Well, it's not that. It's that you've blocked everybody out. No one can get in. Even God can't even bring correction to our lives because, like, no, I, I got to make sure that I'm okay and nothing happens to me again. I'm going to start preaching if y'all keep amen in me. It's good. I'm glad. I like it. Bring it on, baby. But we just have to realize that holding on to unforgiveness, holding on to those things, it never helps us. We think sometimes that it'll affect the other person, but it never does. It only affects ourselves, right? I'm sure you've heard the saying, unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. It ain't going to work out. It's going to only hurt ourselves, right? Proverbs chapter 18 says it this way in verse 19. A brother wronged is more unyielding than a fortified city. So that just means like sometimes when somebody's wronged and then we, we enter into another situation, another relationship, and there's an outburst or some kind of behavior, it's like, whoa, where did that come from? That's not me. 
right? I don't know, maybe you've said that before. Maybe you've heard somebody say that. That's just an indicator, like a warning light, that maybe there's something in our hearts that we haven't dealt with appropriately, and it's causing us to be unyielding. Brother, uh, a brother wrong, the person that's wrong, is more unyielding than a fortified city. That's not me. We've just got to realize that it's time to let some things go. It's not always easy, but we can do it. I want to talk through this process today. Y'all with me today? Yeah. Come on. I know, I, know it, I know it's difficult sometimes. I know it touches some nerves. But I believe that if we're willing to dig into those places of our heart, if we're really, like, if, if we're really willing to get in there and, and allow God to work in there, man, we'll see some amazing things begin to happen. We'll see things break off of our lives that have been sent to hold us back. We'll see things break off of us that have always meant to keep us from the plan that God has for us. It's like we're, we're trying to run and two people are holding your arms back. And then there's that moment where you break free and you can run in a sprint. I believe in the spirit. That's what's happening as we begin to deal with those places. Um, it's funny when you read back in history, uh, in England, uh, there was civil war in uh, 1649. They were going through a civil war. King Charles I was the king, and um, he was in power with the Royalist Party. There was a guy named Oliver Cromwell um, who was a little upset about how the monarchy had treated him, and he felt like he'd been slighted and been taken advantage of, so he, he got some people around him. Isn't it funny when you feel offended and slighted how easily other people will come around you and rally to your cause because they're equally offended and hurt, right? And just a bunch of hurt, offended people get, coming around together. All kinds of things happen, and that happens. So Oliver Cromwell got these people together. They overthrew the king and the royalist party. They came into power. The first thing they did was arrest the king and try him in a court of law because they they tried him for all the things that they felt that he had done to them and all that kind of stuff. Well, they found him guilty and they sentenced him to execution. Well, a lot of people had a problem with that. At that time of history, uh, they looked at their kings, you know, like little deities. And so to execute one was like, oh, a big deal. And so, but they ended up finding 59 people that signed this document to execute the king, which they did, and they carried it out. They executed him. They were in power for several years, and then uh, after uh, eight or nine years, uh, Cromwell died, and then uh, after uh, another couple years, then the royalist party, the monarchy, was able to regain power. And when they regained power, they put uh, King Charles I's son as the king, King Charles II. They put him as king. Isn't that nice? You know what he did, his first act as the king? He said, go find me those 59 guys who executed my daddy. (laughs) So they went out to find these guys. They found out that several of them have died, including Cromwell, but that wasn't good enough for King Charles II. So he went and dug up Cromwell's body. You can Wikipedia this later. They dug up Cromwell's body, brought him into the court, tried him in the court, this dead, decaying corpse. Are you guilty or not guilty? I guess he didn't have much to say because he was dead. They found him guilty and sentenced him to execution. The brother is a corpse. They hung him on the gallows and then brought him down and chopped off his head. Talk about digging up the past. His craziness is so crazy. But it's just... A crazy picture of what happens when we hold on to unforgiveness, when we refuse to let things go, when we refuse to let wounds be healed. It's crazy things happen. We enter into this place where it's like, that's not me. What is happening in this place? 
If there's ever someone who had a reason to not like people, who had a reason to not appreciate how people were treating him, it was Jesus. And uh, there's, in this span of when he was arrested and then taken to the cross where he starts saying these seven statements, there's a span of about 12 hours. There's five things that happened to him. Um, and I want you to, if you're taking notes, I want you to write these things down because they're things that happen to us on our bad days. First one is betrayal. Jesus was betrayed, we know, by one of his closest, one of the ones he loved the most, one of the 12, Judas, betrayed him, sold him for 30 pieces of silver. I know sometimes we think we've been betrayed. It's unspeakable sometimes, and we probably have. Many of us have, most of us probably have never been sold for some money. Jesus was, and there he is in the garden, and one of his closest is leading them, pointing him out, even kissing him on the cheek, saying, this is the one. Betrayal, man, and it hurts so badly sometimes right when it happens because it's someone that we love so much, we love deeply, and that's why it hurts so badly because we love them so much. Then he was arrested and he went through the three illegal trials, which highlights the next one is false accusations. People start saying stuff about you that's not even true, making stuff up about you like, what are you, like, I'm, and then... (laughs) What, what drives me, what I hate the worst about that part is then other people start deciding what they think about me based on something that's not even true that they heard from somebody else. False accusations. Third thing he experienced that in this place, you know, I mean, in the false accusations, right, it, the religious leaders are lying about him, but then they're bringing in people who are lying about Jesus and so many that all their lies didn't even add up, like they contradicted each other, right? And these would have been people where Jesus would have been in their villages. Maybe he would have healed a family member or they would have seen him do a miracle and they're coming in because the religious leaders are paying them to come in and lie about him and nobody, nobody is saying, hey, this isn't adding up. That doesn't make sense with what they said. Nobody's standing up, not even Jesus' 11 friends that are left. They're nowhere to be found. That brings us to the third one, rejection. Maybe you feel that way, rejected. Never feel like you fit in. Where are those people that said they were my friends? I spent so much of my life in this place, wasted so much of my life, feeling like I was the odd man out, feeling like I didn't belong, feeling like I had no value. Man, my heart breaks for this generation, kids and young people and people out there that are are growing up and feeling like they have no value, trying to find places to have value because they've heard somebody said something about them at school or on social media or something else, and they, they have no one to tell them where their value comes from. And they're making decisions based on their value about their life and if they should continue living or not because they don't know if they have a value. Come on, it's time for the church to rise up. Let's get some people in church because that's where we find our value, in the Word of God, not out in the world. Do you know that's why there's empty seats next to you? Because there's people that are hurting and broken, people that are on the verge of suicide, people that are on the taking drugs and all kinds of things because they don't know who they are and they want to escape the pain. And the church is here for them. But we got to get a little uncomfortable about it. If you feeling a little squirmy in your seat, I'm glad. 
Because if we say we love God and we don't love the things he loves, then there's a problem. God is obsessed with his lost kids. We've got to get a little more obsessed with that. I'm going to start preaching. I've got to get back, stay on track. We just got to remind ourselves what God's word says about who we are, that we're not, we're not rejected, we're not neglected. We're sons and daughters of God. That's who we are. So that's, that's why it's so important that people are brought into the house so that they can learn that they're not trash, they're not outcasts, they're not just this, that they are royalty, that they are sons and daughters of God, that they're worthy of the blood of Jesus, that, that they were Jesus' joy. Come on. So the next morning, Jesus goes out. We know the brutality of, the, of all the punishment that he went through. Write this word down, abuse. Some of us have been through that. Maybe physical, emotional, verbal, mental, all different kinds of abuse. If there's anyone who ever understood abuse, it was Jesus. We know he was physically abused, but emotionally and, and, and mentally as well. Think about when they blindfolded him and spit on his face and plucked his beard out, would smack him upside the head and say, prophesy and say, who, who just punched you? Man, he went through it all. It was, a, it was abuse. Uh, the Isaiah the prophet wrote about him and said he was beaten so badly you couldn't recognize him. So when you couldn't recognize him, you'd be like, hey, that's Jesus, because he had so many cuts and swelling all over his body, like he was unrecognizable from the abuse. The Romans would then, when they crucified people, they would crucify them naked so that not only did they feel the pain of it, but that they would experience the next one, and that's humiliation. Humiliation. Jesus went through all of this, but not just to pay for our sins so that we would have an example. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17, it says, this is why he had to be a man and take hold of our humanity in every way. I love that phrase. Take hold of our humanity in every way. Listen, that means that Jesus understands. Whatever pain we bring to him, whatever rejection or hurt or wound, whatever prayer we pray to him, he gets it. He understands, and it's encouraging to know because then we realize we're not in this thing alone, right? So he, was, he took hold of our humanity in every way. Then it says he made us his brothers and sisters, part of his family, and became our merciful and faithful king priest before God. So here's that picture again of him mediating between us and God the Father. He does this as the one who removed our sins to make us one with him. He suffered and endured every test and temptation. Why? So that he can help us. That's good. So that he endured these things so that he can help us every time we pass through the ordeals of life. Come on, somebody. That's a good place. We can know Jesus went through these things to redeem us from sin. But so that then that when we go through a bad day, when we get hurt and wounded, that he can help us through every ordeal we face in life. Come on, let's give him some praise in the house today. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, you're so good, Lord. Man, he helps us through everything. That's good. He understands it. So what do we do? I think that if we come in here today and all we realize is, oh, I need to forgive, but then we don't um, understand the power of how we do that because I, um, I don't know if anybody else feels this way, but my natural instinct when somebody you know, hurts me or says something to me or isn't there when they told me they would be, like, my natural instinct is not to be like, Father, forgive them. They don't. No, no, no. Our natural instinct is to be defensive and hurt and wounded, right? Anybody else honest in the house? Okay. So how do we then get the power to respond the way that Jesus is teaching us? That's what I want to talk about today. 
We're going to see the power. It's the power of God that's working inside of us that gives us the ability to forgive, right? Because it, it takes a decision of our mind in our mind to forgive before our emotions and our feelings follow. Okay, that's good. God bless you over there. It takes a decision in our mind before our feelings and emotions follow. So we've got to decide. So as we talk about this, I want to be very clear about what forgiveness is and what forgiveness is not. Because I think for too long, the enemy has lied to people about what forgiveness is. And there's kind of become this gray, mushy thing about forgiveness. And I, I, I think it's enough. Enough is enough. I'm fed up with the misunderstanding and the lies the enemy tries to feed us. So we've got to understand what it is and what it's not. So if you're taking notes, I want you to write a few of these things down. Forgiveness is not minimizing the seriousness of the offense. Okay, think about Jesus on the cross. He's nailed to the cross. He didn't say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And then look around and be like, what cross are you guys talking about? I don't see no cross. I don't see no nails. No, he's not denying that he was on the cross. He was not denying the pain that he was experiencing. He was just in the midst of it, allowing the power of God to work in him to say, Father, forgive them. It's not denying the seriousness of the offense. Forgiveness does not say it's okay. No, it's not okay. Forgiveness is not saying, oh, it wasn't that bad. Yeah, it was bad. Forgiveness is not just sweeping things under the rug as if it didn't happen. No, it happened. Like, the wound is real. The, it, it, it hurt. Pain is real. We talked a few weeks ago about the difference between a wound and a scar, right? A wound is where, where I'm injured, where something happens to me, where I've got to take care of it. It needs to be stitched up maybe, or there's, there's blood that flows out of it, and it's an open cut, and I've got to bandage it, protect it. Please don't take care of it because uh, t- touch it. It's healing. I can't, I can't use that fully. But then a scar is fully healed, and it's just a reminder of where I was wounded, but now I'm healed. A scar is, I, I don't pretend the scar is not there. The scar is there. But it's, it's just not a wound anymore. It doesn't have a chance to become infected anymore. See, we want to bandage it up and pretend that it didn't happen. And then when something it gets infected, then we're all hurt all over it again. No, a scar is, is healed. Right? It's the difference between a wound and a scar. So it's not pretending it didn't happen. It's not denial about it. It's just I, I, I don't have to continue to carry it. I don't have to continue to allow it to be a wound in my life. It can become a scar. The second thing forgiveness is not is forgiveness is not reconciliation. For too long, forgiveness and reconciliation have kind of been put together under the name of forgiveness, right? But here's the problem with that, is that if my condition to forgive is based on reconciliation, then I'm putting the power of how much freedom I can walk in in my life in the hands of somebody else, right? Reconciliation is a two-player game. It takes both people, me and the other person who hurt me, to come together to work it out to say, okay, we're going to reconcile. And my prayer is that we would have reconciliation in our relationship. But sometimes that other person isn't willing to play ball. So if then I say forgiveness is them coming and we're making up and saying things are okay, that's not forgiveness. If I, that's my condition, then I want to be holding on to some things for a long time. Sometimes that person isn't even alive anymore. How am I going to? We understand the problem. Forgiveness is a one-player game. Just right here. Forgiveness is my decision. Regardless of what anybody else does, I choose to forgive. It's, all, it's, it's right here. It's how I position my heart. It's one player. Reconciliation is a two-player. Forgiveness is a one-player. Right here. It's all, it's all on me. So, so that means the good news is then I decide 
the amount of freedom I can walk in. It's up to me. I decide how much of the forgiveness of the Father I can experience because it's my decision to forgive anyone who's tried to ruin my life. That's freeing right there. Here's another thing that forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not about doing what's fair. Here's what I mean by that. Um, You know, when we're hurt, when somebody does something to us, my first response, and maybe many of you are like this, we want the other person to know what they did was wrong. We want it to be made right. I want to be paid back for what they did to me. Somebody took something from me, and I want to be paid back for it so I can make it like it never happened. That's just a lie of the enemy because it did happen. And that's basically just saying, God, you're not big enough to take care of me even if something happened to me. You're not big enough to use my scars and what I went through to bring healing to somebody else. No, it did happen. It's a scar now, like, right? So it's not about doing what's fair. But we want that. We want restitution. We want justice. <laughs> Anybody with me? Come on, somebody. Bobby, thank you for getting my back over there. It's not about doing what's fair. Forgiveness, see, forgiveness is not about giving somebody what they deserve. It's giving somebody what they need, right? If God gave us, he, he, he didn't give us what we deserve. He gave us what we needed. That's mercy and grace. See, if we, if we want to play the fair game, about doing what's fair. I don't think we realize what we're saying. Because if we want to be fair, if we want to have restitution, like, then we have to realize and we have to pay for our own sins. I don't want fair. Jesus paid for my sins for something that I did. He didn't have to. So I don't want fair. Fair means I have to pay for my own sins, and that means to pay for sin, there has to be death. And if I die with my sins, that means I'm eternally separated from God. I don't want fair. Jesus paid for my sins. If you want fair, you could have it. I'm just telling you, you don't have to. It's not about doing what's fair. Here's, the, here's the, th- the next thing. Forgiveness is not impossible to do. I know it feels like it, <laughs> but it's not. The Bible even tells us this, right? Where does the power come from? It says in Philippians chapter 4, we all know this verse, verse 14, because we say it all the time. I can. Everybody say, I can. I can, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Right? I can do all things if Christ gives me the strength. I can forgive if Christ gives me the strength. I already know he's given me the strength because he said his spirit is in me, the same power that raised Christ from the dead. So all I don't know how much power it took to get Jesus' dead body to be raised to life, but all the power that it took is with inside of us. So we already know his power, his strength is inside of us. So he's given me the strength to do it. So I can forgive. I can do all things because Christ has given me the strength to do it. Right? So how do we do it? How do we forgive? How do we put this power to work in our lives? I'm so glad you asked. I want to give us a couple things today of how we can let this power work in us to choose to forgive, right? Number one, if you're taking notes, write this down, is we need to pray for them. We need to pray for them. Um, in my own life, I went through a situation um, that was where I was working with a close friend, and he was supposed to have my back. He was supposed to be there for me. And then when everything kind of, you know, was thrown up, he wasn't there for me. In fact, he turned on me, and it cost me dearly. It cost me everything. It cost me job and the direction our life was going, everything. And it sent us into a, 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 a bad place. And it hurt so badly. It hurt so badly. And I remember somebody coming up to me and telling me this. Pray for him. I was like, oh, I can. I got this. Lord. 
Send him those locusts you sent upon Egypt, the plague. <laughs> right? Send him the locusts to invade his house. <laughs> but that's not what we're talking about. That's not the kind of prayer we're talking about. I'm like, pray, pray for them. Pray that God would bless them, that God would uh, multiply them, that God would give them favor, that God would enrich their lives. Like, pray earnestly for them. And, and it takes some time to get there. I'm going to be honest with you guys. I did not get there. Like, I prayed the locust prayer way, <laughs> way more times than I prayed. You know, it took me a long time to get there. But we've just got to get there. We've got to keep taking the steps, keep having the courage. God, keep working on my heart. God, I feel like he knew what he was doing, but help me, God. Help me choose to forgive him. I felt like he was trying to ruin my life, but God, I forgive him and begin to pray for him. God, bless them. And it just started there. God, I pray that you would bless him. God, I pray that you would help him. Like, we just, we got to get to that place where we begin to pray for people, right? Jesus said it this way, Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. He said, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. I love that he used the word enemy because when that we're in that situation, we're in the bad day, something's going down, we feel like it's our enemy, but it's really not, it's our spiritual enemy. He says, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. You got somebody persecuting your life? Begin to pray for them. Here's the thing when we do that, is that um, we want to see the result of it in their lives. We want to see the evidence of it in that, oh, God, you turn their hearts towards us, and they're going to come to me, and they're going to be crying and repentant, and we're going to see change in their life. It just doesn't always happen. So we just have to realize that we might not always see the result of it in their life. We might not see their life change at all, but it will always change us. Right? I even tell people, like, like all my married people, what's up, married people? Where are my married people at? So in those times when there's fights, when there's, those deep discussions going on and it's just tension and there's things going on, here's a great thing to do. You need to soften our hearts a little bit. How do we do that? Like before you have the conversation, like if you're in the middle of shouting, stop the shouting. Grab the hands of your spouse. Husband, pray for your wife. Wife, pray for your husband. You know what that's going to do? Man, it's just, it's hard to hate somebody who you're praying for. It's just going to change the atmosphere. It's going to begin to soften your heart towards your spouse. It's just going to change everything. Here's the second thing. We're going to kick it up a notch. Number two is we're going to bless them. We're going to bless them. That means I'm going to, uh, another way to translate bless is to speak well of. So I'm going to speak well of the person who's hurt me. I know it's hard. I told you we're kicking it up a notch. So like when I, um, I'm not going to let words come out of my mouth that are, are bad about that person. Do you know what they did to me? Or somebody else be like, are you okay? Yeah, but that person just, nope. Like, I'm, I'm great. I'll, I'll, I'm going to bless that person publicly and privately. So that means even when it's just me and myself in the car, I'm not going to eat. Like, I'm not going to let words come out of my mouth. I'm not going to let some curse words come out of my mouth about them, even though I might want to. Right? Like, because I'm, I'm, we're changing our hearts, right? We're digging in. We're dealing with those deep things, right? Because we're going to bless them, right? Jesus said, it is a lot of digging. Luke chapter 6, Jesus said, but to you who are listening, like, so anybody who has ears to hear, Right? Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who mistreat you. It's good. So not only are we going to bless them, not only are we going to pray for them, here's the third one. You guys ready for this one? This is another level. You guys ready? All right. I'm not sure. 11 o'clock service is ready for number three. <laughs> We're going to do good to them. I told you we kicking it up a notch. 
We're going to do good to them. So that means that I'm going to find occasion to just be good to them, to do something nice for them unexpectedly. Maybe I'm going to bring them Starbucks or some, some Dunkin' Donuts or I'm going to take them to lunch. I'm going to pay for it. I know, but they hurt me. I know, but I'm trying to let the power of God work in me so that I can forgive the way that Jesus did, right? Romans chapter 12, verse 17, he says, the, the writer says, do not repay. I love this word repay right here because it's that whole thought that we want to be paid back. I want things to be made right again. Do not repay evil for evil, but be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. So I know they hurt you. Maybe nobody knows, but just make sure that, that like, it's okay if someone sees you being nice to them, right? It's okay if other people, like, but they did you wrong. I know it's okay. I, I'm going to do good to them, right? Let everyone know it. It's okay. He goes on and says, in fact, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Don't take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. So basically the writer's telling us to like back off, like step off, bro. God got this. Like it's okay. God got this, right? For it is written, it is mine to avenge and I will repay, says the Lord. So on the contrary, our role is this. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. So if, they have, if your enemy has a need, fill it. If they're hurting in some way, help them, heal it. That's what we're called to do. Sometimes I think we just, we, we get mixed up in, in, in the facts, quote unquote facts, right? The facts that someone hurt us, the facts that we want to be right, the facts that, you know, they should come to us and they, I mean, they hurt me after all. Like we get confused in the facts and overlook our calling. We're not called to be right. We're called to be peacemakers. We're called to be restorers of the breach. We're called to be, that, that's what we're called to be, right? We're called to walk in forgiveness. We're called to be those who extend love and extend mercy, extend grace. We've got to make sure we don't overlook our calling because we want things to be right. He goes on, he says, when you do this, when you do good things for your enemy this way, when you love them, you'll heap burning coals on their head. When I read this the first time, y'all, I was like, yes! Thank you! Right? Because you're like, finally burn, baby! (laughs) But when you dig into what he's talking about, that's not what he means. He's not meaning like, I'm going to drop coals on their heads and they're going to, like, and our... (laughs) In our culture, we don't really uh, value burning coals because we have HVAC, we have stoves. If we need to make something, we just go flip a switch and the stove comes on and we cook. But back in this day, when this was written, burning coals were valuable because that's how you heated your house when it got cold. That's how you cooked meals for your family and provided in that way. So what he's actually saying is that we'll take something valuable from us and give it to them. Something valuable from me and give it to them, something that is sustaining, that brings life to them, right? So I know, I know as we talk about forgiveness and wounds and things that it hurts because something happened to us. So I know it touches a nerve. I know it gets in there, but I just, I'm just radical enough to believe that God wants to bring healing to those places. So that nerve isn't always like twinged, that actually that nerve there, that when it's healed can then, then it becomes a radar for those around you that need healing in that area. Because when we go through an area of of healing, 
man, then we can help bring healing to somebody else. So why don't we just take this moment right here all across this room, heads bowed, eyes closed. And just, I, I know the Holy Spirit's been speaking to you. Maybe something you've been holding on to. Some of us, even in this place, maybe you just need to forgive yourself because something you in the past and you've been beating yourself up about it. Today, it's been long enough. Enough is enough. It's been long enough. It's time, it's time for freedom in your life. It's time to begin to walk in all that Jesus came to give you. And that's not just the repentance of your sin. That's freedom. That's blessing. That's wholeness. But we've just, we've got to stop letting those things hold us back. Jesus was on the cross. The nails were there holding him to that cross. But those nails aren't holding him to that cross anymore. There were wounds in his arms where he was nailed to that cross, but now there's scars. The day is now. The time is now to stop letting those things hold us back. And it's time to run. It's time to live out in freedom. So I don't know. If you're here today and you're saying, Pastor, that's me, will you pray for me? I need to let go of some things. I need to begin to allow the power of God to work in me so that I can forgive those trying to ruin my life. If that's you, say, Pastor, will you pray for me? We just lift your hands all across this room. Awesome hands all over the place. If, if that's you, you got your hands lifted, I would just ask you to take the next step. Just can, Would you step out in boldness and just join me right down here at the front at this altar? I want to pray with you. You're saying, I need the power of God working in my life. See, what this does is this begins to seal a decision in my life. It's no longer just, okay, yeah, I'm going to start to forgive. No, I'm going to seal this decision. God, I need your power because on my own, I cannot do it. But God, by your power working in me through Christ, I can do all things. So Lord, I thank you that you're moving in this house. You're moving all across this room. 